the, the slide that you should, should say, um, you should be able to see, says um, the Spirit, um, salvation, and the Lord's Supper. And so, obviously, we're thinking at the moment, or, or certainly going into a series, thinking about the role of the Spirit. And Mark asked if I'd share a little bit this morning, um, personally, from my own experience, how I came as a Christian uh, to be filled with the Spirit. So, to, so I'm, I'm going to do that true to my uh, true to my brief. And then he said, "Lead us into communion." And as he said, "Lead us into communion," I thought well, it would be good to tie it in rather than just have communion as a as a bolt on to tie it in uh, with that. And I felt the uh, Lord lay on my heart to speak about um, uh, how how communion is the sacrament of salvation, and uh, really what what communion does it it. it it brings the whole of salvation history together. So in the present, we break bread and, and share wine, and we're going to do that in just a moment. But actually, there's a looking back to the cross, of course, the price that was paid for our redemption. But also, there's a looking forward as well uh, to when Jesus Christ uh, will return to this earth to wrap up human history, to judge the living and the dead, and establish his kingdom, which will know no end. And so it's kind of past... Um, present and future. And uh, Donna, in sharing this morning, it was uh, really interesting um, how she shared uh, very much about what was going on in the present um, in Burundi, but she kept referring to the past and the future. I was as I was listening to her, I kept hearing her, uh, kept hearing her, hearing her do that. Um, so she was talking about the present, obviously, and the present. Um, uh, the good stuff in terms of the, the stuff God is doing, uh, in terms of the, um, people came and they got saved. We prayed for someone and they got healed. But also, we know the present isn't all um, the amazing miracle breaking stuff. It's struggle as well. We know that, don't we? Uh, we know that um, full well. Just this morning in the prayers that Mark led us in, um, we're praying for Joyce as she recovers uh, Mark, who's seriously, seriously ill. We're praying for him, but he's, uh, he's seriously ill. For Joel and Abby, who, you know, had the miracle of childbirth just this last week in terms of Josiah uh, coming into the world, but the struggles there um, in terms of it, it wasn't um, a kind of plain sailing, the birth. So the, the, the present struggles, and the Bible is very real about that. Our present struggles are not worth comparing to the future, um, says Paul. But there's not a denial of the present struggles. Yes, there's a, the Look, not, not worth comparing to the future, and we'll com come to that in a moment, but there's not a denial of the present uh, struggles. We live, don't we, between miracle and mystery, and uh, whilst God uh, breaks in in power at the same time, uh, sometimes it seems as if our prayers are not, are not answered, and uh, we've been experiencing um, as a nation something of that in-between state, that, that, that struggle this past year uh, with the uh, international, the global pandemic, not just as a nation, but of course um, throughout the nations of the of the world, um, so um, uh, Donna was very much sharing about the, the present, um, the, the break-ins, but also uh, the struggles. But she kept doing it in the light of the past. Uh, she said, "God has called me. I know that." You know, she looks back to that sense of vocation to the nation of uh, Burundi. She says she doesn't know why the Lord called her. I think we all do know why He called her, don't we? It's a, 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 a blatantly obvious to, her, to all of us. But, you know, she passed, she said, um, the Lord has called me, um, she said. But also she was looking to the future as, as well, saying that, you know, she's looking, or even, even now perhaps for someone to take on the work, for eventually to have indigenous 
leadership, not, not for her to be doing it always. And uh, so there's looking to the, the future as well. And so in what she shared, she was, she was looking at the is in the light of the has and the will. And the, and then the, and the tie-in, which, which Donna didn't know about, is that's basically what I was talking about this morning, how the sacrament, uh, the, the communion is the sacrament of salvation, and it ties in together the has, the is, and the will. The has, the past, uh, the is, the present, but also the will, uh, which is the future. And uh, even the, the passage that Donna cited, uh, Isaiah 61, uh, she said was like a kind of their mandate passage um, uh, that, they, that they use. And that passage really con contains sublimely this, um, this tension that we're in, that we're called to. We have no choice, but we're in as Christians, which is uh, between uh, the has, the is, and the will. So notice, um, uh, first of all, the is, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, we know, of course, Jesus cited this, didn't he? In, in Nazareth, in his hometown, uh, he got uh, chucked out of the synagogue. They tried to throw him off a cliff because of this, because he claimed to be the personification of this messianic mandate. But the spirit of the Lord is upon me. See, that's present tense. Because the Lord, Yahweh, has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And then it, there's, there's quite a few hases that are, um, I mentioned there, in, to, to, to bind up the brokenhearted, to pro pro proclaim freedom. But then, towards the end of the passage, verse, uh, or further on in the passage, verse 3, uh, there's the future, the will. They will be called oaks of righteousness. They will rebuild ancient ruins. They will renew ro ruined cities. So can you see there, in this, in this passage, there it is, the is, the has, and the will. And one of the, the reasons this is important is that as Christians, when we get this out of balance, things can go profoundly wrong. We need to recognize we are a people who are called uh, at this moment to be the people of God. That's the is. But actually, we're part of this huge generation, uh, saints upon saints, going back thousands of years, not just Christianity, even our Judeo past before that. That's the has, the scriptures, the prophetic tradition, and the will. We know that uh, it's not over till it's over. Um, it's not over until God invades human history the second time in terms of the parousia, the second coming, to wrap up human history and establish his kingdom of perfection. And we're not there yet. We live between the now and the not yet. That's why there's this uh, struggle in the present. And we need to recognize all three or we get into problems as Christians if we focus on one to the exclusion or the detriment of the other. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is relevant to all this because he is the God of all three. He is the God uh, who, um, who, who was, um, uh, uh, or, or the, the has, so to speak. So if we, right there in Genesis, it says, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters of the deep. The Holy Spirit was there in creation. Uh, he is uh, the God of the moment. The Holy Spirit is poured into our hearts, says Paul, by which we cry, Abba, Father. And he is the God of uh, the, the future. The very last verse of the Bible, the first verse, the last verse, says the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the Bride say, come, Maranatha. Uh, even so, come, Lord Jesus. The, so the Holy Spirit is the one who ties all this together. Well, I did say to Paul, uh, to Mark rather, Mark uh, asked if I'd mentioned particularly about my own experience of being filled with the Spirit. If we can have uh, the uh, first slide on there, if we could just flick on to the first one. Uh, this is, uh, there it is, this uh, is Lancaster. This is where I was born and grew up. Lancaster's in the uh, northwest of England. 
And that's where I was, I, I was born. Actually, back one, back one again. Um, if we can just go to the first one, never mind. Uh, Lancaster's where I was, uh, where I was born. And, um, and I grew up and I, I didn't, I've shared before, I'm not going to go into any detail about my testimony here, because I've shared before, I think, about coming to Christ here, haven't I? But uh, I wasn't born in a, a, a Christian family. My parents uh, were kind of nominal. You know, they would, would say that they believed, they believed in, in God, but they, uh, they, weren't, uh, they weren't Christians. And my parents split up when I was, uh, when I was about three years of age. And uh, when I was about seven or eight, we moved, we moved to a new area of town. And at the bottom of our road was this church. We can have the next one. Uh, now there it is, the Church of the Nazarene, Lancaster. And uh, my mum, she wasn't a church sender. Uh, she, sorry, she wasn't a church goer. She was a church sender. So she, uh, she, I was the one of three boys, and she, she enrolled us into this Sunday school. And that's where I first um, heard uh, the gospel. And, and, I, and this little church sent me away on a camp to Bury St. Edmunds in uh, Suffolk. Um, if we can have the next one. There it is. Uh, this is Colford School in Bury St. Edmunds. And if we can flick on the next one again, some of you have heard the story, so I'm not going to go into any great detail, is that after the talk on the last night-ish, um, I sensed God speak to me. I went to a, a, a window, which was out onto this quadrangle in this English public school, and there were bees that were flying around the quadrangle, going back into their hive, and this thought popped into my head uh, from nowhere. Sin stings, but Jesus can take away that sting. And uh, if we can flick on the next one. I knew what I had to do. I, I went and found a quiet place in the, in the school, got on my knees, gave my life to, to Christ. That was the start of it, eight, 11 years of age. That was the start of it for me becoming a Christian. And it was years later that um, I found this verse in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 15, 56, 57. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so, so, um, so um, accurate is that verse of Paul, a paraphrase of that phrase that popped into my head when I was 11 years age, of age. If you Google it, if you, if you put in sin stings, but Jesus can take away uh, that sting, uh, loads of different references come up to 1 Corinthians 15, 56. And so I marvel at that, that the God of the universe uh, spoke to me as a little kid uh, who uh, didn't know the Bible and gone to this little church, but not from a Christian home. And I believe God gave me the distilled essence of the gospel. Sin stings, but Jesus can take away that sting. You know, because of sin, humanity, all that we've said wrong, done wrong, and thought wrong, we've messed up. Um, but God has come to the rescue in Jesus Christ. Uh, and I still marvel at that uh, today. But how did I, uh, um, how did I go on to uh, be filled with the Spirit? Even though I was converted through this little church at the bottom of our road, the Church of the Nazarene, around the same time... Um, I did a transfer of churches from this little Wesleyan evangelical church to a very um, cathedral-like church called Lancaster Priory. And Lancaster Priory was a, a sort of a high Anglican church. It was quite liberal theologically. Uh, and a friend of mine uh, was a choir boy there. Um, and he, he, got, he basically said, why don't you come and be a choir boy at Lancaster, Lancaster Priory? I said, no. And he said, we get paid. And I said, yes. And uh, so I was off. I was off like a shot. I thought, getting paid for going to church. This is great. And uh, it was about £5.60 a term we got paid for singing. But uh, I thought, yeah, getting paid. I wasn't quite into wearing the red dress and the Elizabethan ruffle, but I thought £5.60 a term. It's worth it. So off I went to uh, Lancaster Priory. And this church was very different in churchmanship. It was high church. It was kind of uh, liberal theologically. The clergy there, uh, many of them didn't really believe, believe the gospel. And uh, it was uh, funny, it was when I was at this church that um, 
I began to get a hunger for the things of the Spirit. I met uh, uh, some, some Christians who went to a different church in Lancaster called St. Thomas's, um, which was a charismatic church. These people were, uh, uh, seemed to have a, an experience of God I didn't, didn't have. And uh, so I hungered for the things of God. And I read a book, if you can flick on the next one, there was a book in the school library that I found uh, called When the Spirit Comes by Colin Urquhart. Who's read this book out of interest? Anyone? A few, a few people. And um, uh, basically, it wasn't this edition. The, the, the initial edition of When the Spirit Comes was Colin Urquhart was a high church vicar when he got baptized in the Spirit. And the, original, the first edition was him wearing a, a thing called a chasuble, which is this Eucharistic vestment. And he's there, you know, like this high church priest. So obviously, because I was from the high church background, I trusted it. I thought, well, this is obviously not too crazy. He's got this high church priest on. But actually, it was about how this high church priest got blasted by the Holy Spirit and uh, became so evangelical, he sort of dropped off the end of the, of the Anglican spectrum and founded Kingdom Faith. But that's another story. But anyway, I read this book, and this book gave me a hunger for the things of the Holy Spirit. And uh, even though I was uh, by then an altar, I'd been a choir boy, and by then was an altar boy at, um, at the church. I was about 17 years of age. So this is me, age 17. You can't quite see it, but there to the, uh, it's not really aligning, but there's, this is Lancaster Priory, and this is uh, me, about 17, as a, an altar boy at Lancaster Priory. And I remember imploring the Lord uh, to fill me with the Holy Spirit after I read this book. And a friend of mine uh, took me off to a, an Assemblies of God church. It was a Pentecostal church in Kendall, up in the Lake District. Um, if we can have the next one. There it is, this little chapel um, in Kendall, the Lake District. And I remember being there at the at the service thinking um, it was, I was totally out of my comfort zone, I remember. Um, the, the, the sermon was a little bit of a rant, um, which I didn't, uh, didn't get. It was kind of rant against Roman Catholics, I remember. And uh, the worship was from Redemption Hymnal, uh, which I never heard of. There was uh, these ladies who were banging the tambourines on the hips and saying, Jesus, Jesus, like this in a kind of broad Cumbrian accent. And I, felt, I just felt completely, I, just, I, just, I didn't like it at, at all. Couldn't wait to get out. And, um, and then it was in the, in the, in the last hymn, uh, we were having the last hymn, and the, again, there was a bit of a hullabaloo, people worshiping, which I was just wasn't used to in my kind of high church background. I was converted from the age of 11, but I was kind of grown up high church. And um, I remember in the last hymn, I basically almost kind of went into myself and said, oh, Lord, let me just engage with you. It's kind of a, it was a bit self-righteous, really, because it was almost like I'll block out all this noise. This, uh, and I'll just, Lord, it's just me and you. Anyway, so I did that. I said, Lord, it's you know, just me and you, worship. And at that point, the Spirit of God fell on me. I, mean, I began to speak in tongues. Um, and I look back to that as the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Paul, uh, Mark rather, mentioned uh, this the other week. And he said, the word baptism literally means to soak, to saturate, to immerse. Well, that was true for me then. I was, I was baptized in the Spirit. I was a Christian already, um, uh, pretty churchy after going to this uh, high Anglican church. Um, but at that point, I, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I was, um, I was saturated. I was immersed uh, with the presence of God. And, and things really began to change for me as I had an intimacy in, in my relationship with God that I'd never been, that I'd never had before. I had a freedom um, in worship and, um, and, and gifts that, that God had given me uh, began to come to the fore as well, as well as healing uh, stuff from my background. Uh, so I grew up, this is, the, this is the house that I lived in as a boy in Lancaster. Uh, this is 41 Wellington Road, um, where, I, where, I, uh, I, where I grew up in Lancaster. And my first memories, if we can flick on the next slide. This is it. These are the, some family photographs, seen as Mark said, go a bit autobiographical. Why not? So these are a few photographs. Uh, so this is uh, me and uh, my mum and my two brothers. This is me on the left. And, uh, and this is us by Lancaster Priory. There's me on the left again by 
the church, Lancaster Priory. And you can't see the one on the left, but the one on the left is uh, me and my dad. So we, we grew up in Lancaster. There was mum and dad. And I suppose some of the earliest memories were mum and dad um, arguing that, that there was a lot of, uh, there was not peace in the home. There was a lot of arguments, voices were raised, things were, things were thrown. It, it, never, it never felt a really safe place, to be honest. But when we moved to the new part of town, when I was about um, seven or eight years of age, that's when my mum enrolled me in the Sunday school at the bottom of our road. Uh, I remember at that time, so it was the time that I was first hearing the gospel, for the time that I was first exposed to Christianity. It's at that time things got, got uh, particularly, particularly bad. If we can flick on the next slide, about a year ago, I went, um, I went down memory, memory lane. I was in Lancaster visiting my mum, and I went to see the house, 41 Wellington Road. And um, uh, there was a man walking a dog, and he could see me, see me uh, looking at this house from the I was taking a photograph of it as well. That was, I was taking a photograph. And he said, oh, what are you doing? And he said, that's my house. So obviously, they obviously thought he was a bit suspect. So I said, oh, so I, told, I said to him, oh, I, um, this is where I used to live when I was a little boy. And uh, he said, oh, you want to come in? And I said, yeah, yeah. So, so I'd not been in this house for years and years. Uh, this is about a year ago. And um, went into kind of the living, the living room. There you can see me in the mirror taking a photograph of the living room. And when I went into the living, that little living room at 41 Wellington Road, memories kept, kept flooding back. And memories came, kept flooding back. One particular memory, which I've never forgotten, actually, didn't need to flood back. It's never far from the surface, was when there was a particular acrimonious row between my mum and dad. And they were shouting at each other and um, me and my two brothers were cowering in the corner. So the three of us, used, we used to literally, you know, scared, used to cower in, in the corner of that room. In fact, that's the corner by the bookcase. That was the corner we used to cower in, hence me taking the photograph. And then as this row was progressing, uh, my dad said to my mum, tell them, meaning the three boys. And she said, no, 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 no. And he, he said, you tell them. And she, and she begged him and said, no, don't tell them. And then um, and he said, tell them. If you don't tell them, I'll tell them. And uh, she basically, at this point, was imploring him, no, this isn't the time, don't, don't tell them now. Anyway, when he came over to the three of us, and he said this, he said, uh, right, you three, and then there was an expletive that I'm not going to say in church, right, you three, expletive, I'm not your dad. And the expletive, what it was, it was it's the expletive that uh, is for, for someone who's born out of, a child that's born out of wedlock, so what we used to talk illegitimate, you know, people used to talk about an illegitimate child. That's uh, the, the expletive that he used. Right, you three, I'm not your dad. And in many ways, you, you can imagine that has been, sadly uh, for me, a, a, a memory, one of those memories that, the kind of memory, that kind of thing, that you would almost never get over. It turned the backstory, of course, the backstory is my, my, my biological parents divorced when I was two and a half, three, and they separated. And my mum got a partner. She didn't marry him, this guy called Barry. Um, he was her, she got this new partner that she lived with. And, we, and because her children, her three boys were so young, she thought the best thing to do would be to, for, to, to, for, to, to bring up the children to believe that this partner, her boyfriend, was our dad. She thought that was the best thing for them. And, uh, and, and he wanted it. This, this guy, Barry, his name was, he wanted it. So we called him dad. We thought he was our dad. And, um, but obviously it all ended pretty, um, pretty painfully. In that very room as well, the other memory I remember is that um, you can imagine that was the end of the relationship between uh, my mum and Barry, as, as I now thought of him, because he wasn't my dad. And I remember in that room, um, uh, uh, sitting there at night watching TV when uh, one night a bottle came through the window. Uh, you know, Barry, Barry had, uh, was drunk and he, he got, got this milk bottle and threw it through the window. It smashed through the window and just, just missed me and hit the TV. It was, it was a, a, again, not a safe place 
to be. That continued for a while until um, uh, there was there was a, a, a then then the, the, then peace ensued, and um, and uh, it, uh, and Barry took his own life. Barry, Barry Barry it turns out he he took his own took his own life again, which is a, a trauma. This guy who we thought was our dad, and then the, the, he wasn't our dad, and then they split up, and then he terrorized the house, and then eventually took his own life. A healing verse for me as a Christian. So in the midst of all this, I became a Christian. Age 11, I became a Christian. God broke in. Um, and a verse for me that's always been uh, significant is this one uh, from uh, Psalm 68, verse 5. If we can flick it on. There it is. And I'll read it to you. It says, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. And um, I don't know, I think uh, probably for you, Donna, as well, that's a significant verse, isn't it, in terms of working with people who are widows and orphans. And uh, that, that category that's there in the New Testament, we see it much more in African nations or developing world nations where, uh, where people really are death, left destitute without, without fathers or being, being orphans in a way that we don't quite see in the, the same way in the West. But when I first saw that word, father to the fatherless is God is in his holy dwelling. And it's a, it's a long, it could be a long story, but I remember when I was at theological college, training to be a vicar, I was 23, I rocked up to theological college. Uh, in Oxford, the one I'm now teaching in, funny enough, uh, but I, I rocked up there to train age 23. And there was a real move of God then. This was the early 90s. There was a real move of the spirit that I think Mark referred to in terms of the Toronto, the sometimes called the Toronto outpouring, that many churches were being blessed by the Holy Spirit. And this was happening, this was happening then. And uh, I remember in the lower common room at Wycliffe Hall, someone praying for me and the power of God fell on me. I began to shake. Uh, and I remember I fell over. I sort of was, I was basically was shaking on the floor. And I was, I was pretty embarrassed because there's me at theological college. It's all prim and proper in the lower, lower common room, having fallen over, sort of shaking, like with electricity going through me. It felt like, it felt like electricity going through me. And, uh, you know, and realizing that theological college is very critical. There are some people who wouldn't approve and all that, you know, feeling a bit self-conscious, but just being blasted by the presence of God. And I remember, uh, and I said to the Lord, you can ask him questions, you know, I found, I found that out along the way. I said to the Lord, what, what are you doing? Because I sense this was God. What are you doing? And this is what he said. I'm fathering you at the deepest level of your being. And, uh, and that's a prayer I pray for other people, other people who've got father issues. I, I, I'll, I, when I pray for them, I'll say, Father, father him or her at the deepest level of the being. Apply, by your spirit, apply your fatherhood to the deepest level of their being. And so the Holy Spirit brings healing. The Holy Spirit brings freedom. Well, on then to uh, communion then. So it's the sacrament of salvation. Uh, and God, by his spirit, is involved in salvation, past, present, and future. But as, as a little prelude, um, oh, before, we go, before we go there, just a, a, a story which was, if we flick on the next one, Prince Philip's um, uh, funeral. Uh, how many saw that yesterday? A few people, quite a few of us, uh, tuned in to the Duke of Edinburgh's funeral. It was kind of a, almost, it was British, Britain at its best in many ways, wasn't it? Dignified and and uh, one of the, I felt proud to be an Anglican momentarily. And, um, you know, this dig dignified service with amazing choral music from just four people, four-part harmony, absolutely stunning. But there was a bit in the service, those of you who saw it, you remember where this guy came forward, I don't know who he was, but this guy came forward dressed in a really ornate, colorful robe. And he had a stick and he pointed at the coffin and he recited all Philip's uh, titles. Do you remember that bit? It was really, he said, Philip, you know, Duke of Edinburgh, obviously, he said, and, uh, you know, consort uh, to the queen. And then he said, Royal Knight of the most uh, uh, ho ho noble order of the Garter. Um, and um, uh, uh, he basically, member of Her Majesty's 
the Privy, Privy Council, extra knight of the most ancient and most noble order of the Thistle, a member of the Queen's uh, Privy Council of Canada, um, uh, order of the Dogood, whatever that is, absolutely no idea. Anyway, went through all the different titles of Philip, you know, this big long list. And I thought for a minute, oh gosh, you know, when he, a few days ago when he went to meet his maker, I wonder if the Lord was intimidated. Um, but I think, I think not somehow. Um, but uh, you know, went through all the different titles. But when, it, when this was happening, I just thought to myself, uh, when all these titles of this, this picture of the coffin, all these titles being recited over him as he was being commended to God, I, I, I went, my, my, my mind went back to a, a, a video clip from just a, a day or two before when Prince Charles came out and with his wife, um, uh, Camilla, they viewed the, the different floral tributes and read some of the cards. And he made a little speech on, the, on, the, on where he was. And he, and he said, I so miss, he said, my dear papa. And uh, that came back to me at the, the funeral yesterday. I thought of all these, these titles, you know, uh, the Duke of Edinburgh, Grand Knight of the Order of the Garter, Grand Knight of the Order of the Thistle, all these things. And yet to Charles and his siblings, he's papa. And you know, that's, that's a word for us today. I think a word particularly for one or two people here today, either watching online uh, or uh, uh, here in, in, in person, that God is the God of the universe. We did a series that I spoke at it a, a year or two ago called, uh, on the names of God. Do you remember that one, Mark El Shaddai? I think that was my, uh, my one. And the, you know, the God who heals, the, uh, the God who is there, all these different titles, most of them in Hebrew um, in the Old Testament. God is all these things. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. Um, and, and uh, you, know, you know, God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, as Isaiah says. And yet to those who believe in his name, Jesus Christ, he is dear Papa. He's Dad. He's our heavenly Dad. The Holy Spirit testifies with our human spirit that we are God's children and we cry Abba. That, that um, uh, Aramaic phrase, which literally means Papa or Dad. Uh, uh, Daddy, that familial, affectionate, intimate term for God that is used, that Jesus uses and is picked up, of course, by the Apostle Paul. God is uh, the one who is, who has acted in human history, is with us in the present and promises to redeem us in the future. Okay, as we go into communion, a little a story as we go. Some of you, I don't know whether you saw, if we flick on the next one, um, the one after that. Uh, there we go. Did anyone see this? The uh, county press. I don't know whether anyone saw this. When was it? 30th of March. Yarmouth, RLNI respond to yachts taking on water. I don't know whether any of you saw it. There's a really nice photo that the, the county press came up with, the next one. There it is. We didn't take it. Uh, this was with Skipper Ganley. So uh, Rick Ganley, I've, ne I've never been on a yacht before. I've been sailing on a few things, but uh, uh, Rick Ganley, obviously uh, very, very experienced uh, yachtsman, Travel, traveled the world. Uh, been over to the Americas, the Canaries. You know, you, there's nowhere he's not been on his, on his different yachts. This is a small yacht for him compared to some of the previous yachts that he's owned and skippered. I'd never been on a yacht. He said, oh, come, on a, come on a yacht, he said, and Ashley was crew as, as well. And um, it was great fun. There's, a, there's the three of us. The next one, there's the th uh, three of us. There's the, the shipmates before disaster struck. And we had a great day sailing. It was a wonderful, um, uh, just a wonderful day. And, uh, and then the next one, uh, we, 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 what we thought we'd do is we'd go in into the evening uh, we'd go, you can see it there in the corner, we'd go into Newtown Bay. And by then, Rick had taught me how to steer this, the tiller, that's it, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, he taught me how to steer this thing with the tiller, uh, but the tide was pretty low. He wa he'd want me to tell you that. Um, the tide was pretty low. And the, the, the mouth of Newtown Bay 
uh, was uh, was was quite narrow in terms of the water, um, and uh, I was I was taking I was taking the boat in, and at this point I was thinking I was terrified to be honest. Though, you know, I'm taking it into this fairly narrow mouth into into, uh, into Newtown, and um, uh, Rick said in a masterfully way, he said, "I'll take it from here." He said, and uh, he took the tiller, and he went in, and basically, if we can, uh, if we can, uh, next slide, please. Yeah, he ran it aground. This is the boat here. Running around, he, he missed the boy. You know, I don't know. You go to the right of the, the different colored boys. Apparently, you've got to go to the right or the left. I don't know what it is, but anyway, he went the wrong way. And uh, and uh, this basically uh, ran ran the yacht completely aground. Obviously, the the tide went out, and uh, basically uh, we had to wait hours and hours until the tide came in again to uh, refloat. And when the, when it, we thought Rick Rick assured us that it's going to be fine, and once it refloats, and it refloated. But then when we we, we found that as it that the boat had laid over on its side, obviously it laid over on a rock. And so there was a hole in the boat. So it began to fill, as the, 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 the bay began to fill up, we began to uh, sink, so to speak, as we began to take on water. And in the end, we called the RNLI. So here we are, the next one. There, there they are. Uh, just like the uh, 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 cavalry, they arrived just in time. And, um, and it also, I don't know whether you know, it also made, as well as the, the National Island newspaper, the, uh, it also made the BBC National News. Can we have the next one? Then you saw this dramatic lockdown at three, uh, uh, lockdown three, sea rescue. The Earl and I were involved in a daring life or death mission on Monday night, top, top right, when a yacht ran aground in Newtown Creek on the Isle of Wight, top left. The Nightingale was being skippered by local property magnate Rick Ganley when it hit terra firma with a crew of two, local man Ashley Hood and a vicar visiting from the, visiting the island from overseas, the Reverend Greg Downs. The boat listed over 45 degrees, and the experience was reminiscent of a frightful light ride at Alton Towers, said the Reverend Greg Downs, who'd never sailed in a yacht before. The eclectic crew had to wait eight hours before the next tide to refloat them, during which time Mr. Hood climbed the mainmast, pictured bottom left, and the added weight caused a rock to puncture the hull, which caused the stricken vessel to take on water and began seeking, sinking. The intrepid sailors uh, made the brave decision not to abandon ship, but to keep night watches on the boat, bottom right, until morning. A spokesman from the Church of England was not available for comment. Um, anyway, I don't... Anyway, I don't really notice the date on that, April the 1st, April the 1st, 2021. So obviously that was a bit of a spoof. That I, I like a bit of satire. It can be a dangerous thing, I know, but I like a bit of satire. And, uh, and actually, it's, it's pretty much all true, even though, even though obviously not the life and death mission. Obviously, I'd have to say, almost certainly, we can't know for sure, but almost certainly Ash Ashley didn't cause the, the hull to puncture when he went up the mast in this daring sort of chimpanzee-like uh, thing to the top of uh, the mast, as you can see on the bottom, bottom left there. But all the, uh, the details of that are true. Now, the, why, am I, why am I sharing this, um, uh, this story? Because it's a good one. It's a good one. It's, I needed to get it, you know, I needed to get it into a sermon sometime, and probably I'll use it until the Lord returns. But, um, but why did I get it into the sermon? Is you know, at what point, um, uh, yeah, at what point are we saved theologically? At what point, I, yeah, so forget, forget us being saved uh, um, as far as we are. Theologically, biblically, when are, we, when are we saved? Sorry? Now? We're saved now. In the, now, in the present, absolutely right. Is that, is, that the, is that the only answer possible? Sorry, forever? Forever? In the future, in the future. So, yeah, thank you. This is brilliant. Uh, we're getting, we're getting, so we're, we're saved now, uh, forever, so that's in the future. Anything else? The cross, which is the past. So actually salvation is a past, present, future 
experience. Salvation is, um, is to use the language that, from Isaiah 61, uh, sa salvation um, is, is a has, is, and will be experience. It's past, it's present, and it's future. And basically, some Christians, we just focus on um, the past tense. We say, I am saved. And you know, that's absolutely uh, true. Here's a, here's a verse that talks about um, Titus 3, verse 4 to 5, um, says this, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us because of right, um, not because of righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. So he saved us past tense. So in other words, it's perfectly right to say we, um, we are saved. You know, we, you know we, we are saved. But also, in a, in a very real sense, um, um, salvation is in the future. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8. Paul says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, uh, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation. So here Paul talks about the hope of salvation. It's a future event that is not yet fully realized. But actually, as well as it being past, as well as it being future, it's also present. You get Paul on a couple of occasions, and here's one of them in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 15, where he says this, and um, I think Mark's quoted it already, for we are um, to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. So salvation is past, present, and future. And it's a bit like, you, you, and it really is like a rescue um, at sea. You know, where there we were, the, the, the basically, um, uh, the, the, the vessel was uh, struck in Newtown, Newtown Bay. Uh, out came uh, the RLNI to, uh, to rescue us if necessary. And so basically, when the, when the um, RNLI arrived, you could say, if we could flick on the next uh, slide, uh, is the point, there they are down in the, the vessel in, in front of us. You could say at that moment, you know, hallelujah, we're, we're saved, we're rescued. Um, and you, so you, you could say past tense, we're, res we're rescued. But in a, in, a, in a very real sense, we are being saved because obviously the rescue operation is underway. But actually we weren't fully saved until we were on terra firma when the, when the, the, the ship was back in the harbor and we were on solid ground. So this is a picture of uh, our salvation right now. So th this, this is where we are right, right now um, as the church, past, um, uh, present and, and future, but we're, we're right now um, in, in the present. Uh, so we've, be, we've been saved, the rescue people have arrived, you know, Jesus Christ has died for us on the cross, but we're not yet saved until our feet are in the new Jerusalem, uh, when we, we're actually, we will be uh, in heaven in all of its fullness. We are, so, so it's true, salvation is past, present and future, just like this moment you can see behind us. And each one um, gives us grace. So, so basically, the fact that we believe that we have been saved, past tense, is a guarantee of glory. Christ has done it all on the cross, as Tammy reminded us. That should give us assurance, blessed assurance, that the hymn writers speak about. Um, the future should give us encouragement not to give up. The fact that we will be saved gives us encouragement not to give up. Um, and the theological word for that is perseverance. We're called to persevere. But actually, in the present, um, um, uh, the, the, the fact that we're being saved now, that gives us an apologetic, it gives us a reason for present suffering, for present struggles that we all go through when we experience suffering, when we experience hardship, when it seems as if our prayers are not answers. We've got an apologetic for that because we live uh, between, between the now and the not yet. We live between miracle 
and mystery. So we're called uh, to um, work, out, work, out, work out our salvation in fear and trembling, as Paul says. We are being saved, recognizing we have been saved, past tense, Christ has done it all, and we will be saved when Jesus comes once again to establish his kingdom, which will know no end. Now, this is uh, relevant because as we go into communion, which we're going to uh, do now, and if you've, um, if you've got some bread and uh, wine, perhaps um, if you bring that, if you've not got it, if you go to the table at the back, if you get some bread and wine, it'd be great if we can all receive communion together at the same time. It's a very powerful way of doing it as we conclude um, our service. But as we do that, as you bring the communion elements forward, here's a quotation from uh, a colleague of mine at Wycliffe, Tom Wright. Can we flick on the next slide? As you can't see it, I'll read it to you. Tom Wright says this. He says, in the bread and wine of the Eucharist, kind of a, you know, obviously a more uh, theological or more, more churchy phrase, really, for communion. In the bread and wine of the Eucharist, the past and future come to meet us in the present. Isn't that an amazing quote? In the bread and wine of the Eucharist, the past and the future come to meet us in the present. Because we, we, we celebrate uh, the Lord's death, and, we, 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 and that's what we're doing. We're doing that. We're doing now. We're, gonna, uh, we're breaking bread. We're sharing wine uh, together. We're, we're asking the Holy Spirit to impact us now by his Holy Spirit and to do his work, whether that's empowerment for mission, whether it's healing like I needed in terms of father wounds in my life, uh, or, or indeed any other wounds or scars uh, that you might have, whether it was joy, the Holy Spirit bringing you joy, even in the midst of, even in the midst of difficulty. The Holy Spirit's manifold work. We're asking God, God's present, continuous work by his Spirit to be in operation in this moment. But we look, we look, we look to the past that we can be assured that he's with us now because Christ has died on, on the cross. As I sometimes say, religion uh, says do, um, Christianity says done. Christ has paid the price. He's done it all. He's secured our salvation. But we look forward to the future as well, that when uh, Jesus Christ will wrap up human history, establish his kingdom, which will know no end. Evil, the, the works of the enemy and evil will be cast down under his feet. So uh, Holy Communion is a past, it's a sacrament of our salvation. It's, uh, it's kind of a past, present, um, future um, sacrament uh, by which we, we, we celebrate God's goodness and look back and we look forward. And so then we remember our, the Lord Jesus Christ on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his followers. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is uh, my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many. Uh, do this as often as you drink it to remember me. And so, Lord Jesus, in obedience to your command, we take, uh, we bless, we break, and we give. We sh that, that fourfold action of, of communion. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that this communion is, is uh, the sacrament of our salvation. And uh, Lord, we thank you that uh, your salvation is applied to us by your Holy Spirit. Thank you that uh, for all of us who are, who are, who are saved, we're saved because you have, you've rescued us. You've come to us. And, uh, and Lord, we pray, Lord, that as we receive this uh, bread and this wine, uh, Lord, you might fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, um, we ask, and empower us to live your life. And so if you've not done already, perhaps just take the bread and... Uh, Eat the bread, you may have done that already. 
and then drink the cup. I'm going to just, uh, in concluding, just going to finish with a simple prayer of surrender for anyone who might not be a Christian. There are often you know, one or two people who are journeying with the community. I know there are people watching online. It could well be that you've not yet given your life to Christ. You've not yet did what I it was explained that I did at eight, 11 years of age when I surrendered my life to Christ. So here's a simple prayer, and it's, it's past, present, future. So Jesus, thank you that you died for me. Come now and fill me with your Holy Spirit. And uh, may I be a, uh, thank you that I'm, I'm a citizen of heaven. Uh, and that's the simple prayer. So just pray this prayer and make it your own prayer um, as I pause at the end of each line. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you that you died for me. Jesus, fill me now with your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And thank you, Jesus, that you fit me for heaven, uh, that I am a citizen of heaven, and I look forward to that day. Uh, when I will stand um, in your kingdom in fullness. Amen. And Father, we pray for anyone who may have prayed that prayer as a, a commitment to you this morning. Um, uh, we pray for them that uh, you might fill them with your Holy Spirit. We pray for ourselves. Uh, Lord, we thank you, uh, Lord, for that wonderful reminder that we are one body, the body of Christ, just as Donna shared about the work of God in Burundi, of people getting saved, people being healed, uh, we thank you, Jesus, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we thank you, Lord, that just as you saved and healed throughout the pages of Scripture, you, you're doing that even, even now. And uh, we pray that you might come by your Holy Spirit, just as we've received the bread and the wine. Uh, fill us with your presence, uh, we pray. And uh, bring us healing and wholeness, Lord. And for those of you who's, who've struggled with you know, you know, issues in our background of brokenness or hurt or rejection. Uh, we thank you that you are the one true and perfect father. And Father, I pray that you might apply your fatherhood to the deepest level of our beings, that we might be free, that we might be healed, that we might know that we're accepted, that we are loved, that we are chosen in you, Jesus Christ. And, uh, and we pray, Lord, that uh, just as we've been stirred and challenged uh, this morning, just as we've heard particularly stories um, uh, in, in Burundi. We pray, Lord, that we might expect those things now, Lord, uh, where our expectation has been diminished. Um, may it increase within us, Lord, that uh, because you have acted in Jesus Christ, because you are going to wrap this whole thing up in the future, Lord, thank you that you keep your promise, and uh, may you act more and more in our lives um, uh, through uh, this local church, through other churches, we pray, that your kingdom will come and your will will be done. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And just very quickly in conclusion, just if, if I may, that there's a little uh, kind of like a mini creed that we sometimes use in the Church of England, uh, where the, the vicar says, let us proclaim the mystery of faith. That's the kind of thing the vicar normally says. And the response is, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. It's, it's the past, present, future. Christ has died, past tense, Christ is risen. And he lives in us now by his Holy Spirit, but he will come again. So the response is, let's all say it together in a minute, in a moment, the response is, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will Come again, and I'll say the, the bit that the vicar normally say, which is, let us proclaim the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Hallelujah.